This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. A lot of people are nervously watching a wildfire burning north of Oliver tonight. Number of homes and properties are under evacuation alert as thick smoke blankets the area. Global's Shelby Tom is near Oliver for us tonight with more on the firefight. Shelby. Sophie, helicopters continue to bucket the Eagle Bluff wildfire burning behind me just north of Oliver. Residents also remaining on edge tonight as this interface fire continues to burn out of control, covering 200 hectares. A sleepless and stressful night for Dale Belvedere. She's dedicated her life to rescuing injured birds of prey and rehabilitating them at the Sorco Center, now under threat by an out-of-control wildfire. I'm scared, but they're, they're safe and they will be safe. We'll transfer them to other facilities. As they prepare to evacuate the center, her greatest fear coming true as the fire closes in. We're in a bowl down here. We're surrounded by the mountains and very, very dry. The Eagle Bluff wildfire sprung to life Sunday night in the hills between Oliver and Okanagan Falls. 100 firefighters and six helicopters are being deployed to the scene. A menacing sight from Highway 97 as thick, dark smoke billows into the air. So the fire is burning in uh, open grass and some ponderosa pine, so there is a little bit of heavier timber in certain areas. Dozens of properties in the area have been placed under evacuation alert. Search and rescue members going door to door at 3 a.m. to issue the notifications. And we saw some of the trees on fire and it just... Every time we look out and that, it's just getting bigger and bigger. And At the height of the tourism season, more than 500 visitors are camping at the Gallagher Lake Resort and now under alert. Mike Penner has a front row view of the action. Last night, it, it really started. That's It just all of a sudden flames come up. We saw we sm smelled smoke when we went out there and there was a lot of fire, like lots of flames. As for Belvedere. I'm just hoping that they get this under control and Sorco is not gone tomorrow. Well, putting a lot of crews on that fire now. Shelby, do we know what caused it yet? The fire is suspected to be human-caused, but the B.C. Wildfire Service says that is still under investigation. Environment Canada has also issued a special air quality statement for the entire region, meaning those with pre-existing health conditions, children, the elderly, and women who are pregnant are advised to limit their outdoor smoke exposure for the next 24 to 48 hours. Sophie? All right, thanks for that. Shelby Tom near Oliver for us tonight. More twists and turns in the hunt, the manhunt for two teenagers suspected in three murders in northern B.C. An underwater recovery team has now completed its work following the, the discovery of a damaged boat on the shore of the Nelson River in Manitoba. Tanya Beja has more on that and what else RCMP are collecting in their hunt for Briar Smigelski and Cam McLeod. Tanya. 
Well, Chris, RCMP were back on land today searching for the two suspects. Police set up a roadblock near Sundance, Manitoba, north of the town of Gillum. Sundance used to house workers from a nearby hydro project, but the town is now just a series of empty lots. We understand police were searching in the forest around that area, but they wrapped up by early afternoon. Now, this comes just a day after the RCMP dive team scoured the Nelson River. They spent about four hours on the water Sunday looking for the suspects or anything linked to Cam McLeod and Briar Schmigelski. The river search was prompted by the discovery Friday of a badly damaged aluminum boat on the bank of the Nelson River. Police couldn't confirm that the boat was connected to McLeod and Schmigelski, but they also couldn't rule out that possibility. Now, we have not received any updates from Manitoba RCMP since they set up the roadblock in Sundance, so it's unclear whether they found anything new today. But there is certainly a sense of anxiety amongst people living nearby who just want to see this manhunt come to an end. All the police and all the attention was a little, a little overwhelming at times, but I mean, I did think like they were going to get them within the first week, and so the fact that it dragged on for this long, it was a little unexpected. Kind of in the back of your mind that they could still be out there, but... You don't really, you, yeah. you, you haven't heard anything. Now, police are also still trying to retrace the steps of McLeod and Schmigelski, and they are getting tips from around the country. Over the weekend, we're told police visited fast food restaurants in Moose Jaw, Saskatchewan, to obtain surveillance video from workers who thought they had spotted the pair in July. Those sightings were not confirmed, so RCMP are continuing to ask people to keep their eyes open and report anything suspicious. Chris and Sophie, back to you. All right, thanks very much, Tanya. A tragic outcome in Squamish where a challenging rescue unfolded over the weekend to save a 33-year-old climber who had fallen. Sadly, shortly after SAR reached the man, he passed away. It's the second fatal fall on the Stawamas Chief in six weeks. Ted Trenecki is in Squamish with more on the dangers and reaction from the climbing community. Ted. Yes, Chris, to have two people die in six weeks is indeed tragic. But in fact, there have been three calls in the last three days to search and rescue for climbers in distress. Now, getting anybody off a straight rock face like that is difficult. But this weekend's operation was exceptionally difficult. It started with a call at 1130 Sunday morning. And for the rest of the day, until dark, almost all volunteers with Squamish Search and Rescue were involved. This uh, rescue was as complex as it could be, and because the wall is so steep, to be able to get the helicopter in close enough, um, we have to use a particularly long line, or uh, in this particular case, could not remove them from exactly where they were. Two climbers, tethered, were already at the upper half of the chief when the lead climber fell. His partner's line is believed to have broken the fall somewhat, but the lead suffered what would turn out to be fatal injuries. A healthy amount of, of um, fear is always something good to have when you're climbing. You know, it's definitely a bummer, especially a guy that's, I think it was 33. You know, I'm 32, Dustin's 33, so it sucks to get, you know, claimed by the mountain. There were some rocks that fell at about the same time, though it isn't clear if they contributed to the fall or were the result of it. One thing that is certain is that the rock climbing community is a pretty close group. This is a, a small community of climbers. So, you know, we're all known to each other. So that does make it tough. 
Chris, search and rescue volunteers have said this before and they're saying it again tonight that the, the chief and all the trails around here have become very busy in the last few years. Everyone needs to be knowledgeable and prepared because search and rescue may not get to you that quickly if they're tied up with an extensive operation like this one this weekend. Chris? Ted Chernecki and Squamish, thanks, Ted. Right now, though, it's an interesting idea that's starting a conversation about supercars and who should be allowed behind the wheel. Australia has banned inexperienced drivers from using many high-powered vehicles. Grace Key tells us why and what officials here think of the idea. Two high-powered luxury cars were recently caught racing down Highway 10 in Surrey. Seconds later, one loses control and slams into the other. Metro Vancouver has seen its share of super-powered cars colliding or speeding, and sometimes with a new driver behind the wheel. And some feel tougher restrictions are needed for new drivers. Putting them behind the wheel of a car that was supercharged and had a lot of power seems... Incongruent. Doesn't seem like a good idea. They don't know how to handle that much power, right? It's too much power for a new driver. How do you put a restriction on something like that? Like, where do you draw the line? And that's the problem lawmakers in Australia confronted when some states put a near-blanket ban on high-performance vehicles with V8 and forced induction engines for new drivers. We had to have tough rules, but now we've got to be realistic with the change of technology in vehicles. Laws were amended using a power-to-weight ratio scheme, taking more than 6,500 vehicles off the restricted list. NBC, from an insurance standpoint, ICBC says luxury car owners pay twice the amount for basic insurance and nine times for optional insurance. And this fall, changes will be made to address risky drivers. Risky drivers, bad drivers, uh, people who are, who are out there street racing, um, they're going to be paying more for their insurance come, come September because one thing that we haven't done before that we will be doing is looking at convictions. So if you're out there speeding and you get a ticket for that, we're going to be looking at that and then pricing your insurance accordingly. A couple of years ago, stiffer penalties were brought in for street racers, excessive speeders and other dangerous drivers. And now these same people could see their insurance premiums go up as well. Grace Key, Global News. Some frightening moments aboard a British Airways flight today as smoke filled the cabin about 10 minutes before landing. The Airbus A321 was on its way from London to Valencia, Spain when a fire reportedly broke out. Once the plane touched down, passengers had to exit via the emergency chutes. Everyone got off safely. However, some passengers say the oxygen masks did not deploy and staff weren't providing proper instructions during the chaos. The airline has apologized. No word yet on what caused the problem. Well, traveling for work or pleasure can be expensive when you're flying, but if you're looking for bargains, it might depend on where you book. As Sean O'Shea reports, using an American website instead of a Canadian one will likely get you a deal. When booking a flight, most people are looking for the lowest price. The same airline seat can cost one price on one day and another price if booked before or later. And sometimes the same seat can cost less depending on which airline's website you use and whether it thinks you're Canadian or American. We found a systemic issue here. It is not a one-off. Specifically United Airlines, which flies into various Canadian cities. After a tip from an airline industry insider, we found that booking the same flight on United could cost more if you shop on the Canadian site versus the U.S. one. It sounds like United Airlines is ripping Canadians off. 
Simple as that. We did some shopping with United and found some differences. We priced tickets on a flight between Toronto and Fort Lauderdale, Florida. On the U.S. site, the same one-way flight cost $236. Adjusted into Canadian currency, it came to $313. But when we switched to United's Canadian website, the cost for that flight was higher. It came out to $357, a $44 difference. Another flight, Toronto-New Orleans. On United's U.S. site, we'd pay $538 for the direct flight, $735 Canadian. Still cheaper than had we gone to the Canadian site, which charged $771. In some cases, the amounts aren't that big. In other cases, there's no difference at all. But for penny-pinching travelers who don't know better, it can all add up. The airline cannot discriminate between passengers based on their citizenship, based on their residence. Air Canada also has separate sites for the U.S. and Canada and told us at the time of booking, fares on the Canadian site in Canadian dollars would be reflected on the U.S. site in equivalent U.S. dollars. But beware you know which site you're on. Being um, a Canadian flight, um, U.S. never even entered my mind. Kelly Wisnowski of Winnipeg booked a flight thinking she was on the Canadian site, but she was on the U.S. one. And realized when she got her credit card statement, the great deal she found wasn't as good as she thought. More tonight on the mass shootings that claimed at least 31 lives in the United States over the weekend and the impact the violence is having on this side of the border. It wasn't so long ago that a number of British Columbians were injured in Las Vegas when a gunman opened fire. As Kylie Stanton reports, with little in the way of gun control reform since then, a growing number of Canadians are rethinking their travel plans. You can see where the where he was shot through the arm. Keep your head down, go! It was one bullet of thousands that came raining down on that Las Vegas crowd, leaving this Canadian with multiple wounds, fighting for his life. We are so lucky he's alive. Nearly two years later, 23-year-old Sheldon Mack has made a full recovery, at least physically. But the ongoing gun violence south of the border is making it difficult for his family to move on. It's just so maddening. Uh, that, that it just keeps happening. Go, go, come on! It takes you back, and it's hard to heal. Hurry up, hurry up! In the span of less than 24 hours this past weekend, El Paso, Texas, and Dayton, Ohio, saw deadly mass shootings. 31 people were killed, dozens injured. My mom is doing good. She's in stable condition. My dad is still fighting for his life. Leaving some Canadians rethinking their travel plans. That is definitely a deterrent. We're kind of boycotting the states anyway. It just doesn't feel very safe anymore. Compared to previous years, there has been a drop in tourism from Canada to the U.S. The dollar and the Trump effect are playing a role. But it's fear that's becoming a driving force, at least in the short term. People get afraid and they get more afraid when it's multiple attacks in a very short time. And there's concern without any gun control or the recognition that white nationalism is a real threat. The attacks are only going to continue. Simply because it hasn't been a threat that's been prioritized by security services over the last you know, five or six years. There are actors out there who have potentially more capabilities and intent than we would otherwise uh, see. The Max can't seem to escape it. Their other son's girlfriend narrowly missed the shooting in California last week at a garlic festival of all places. This keeps affecting your life. Uh, and, and we're members of a, of a, a club, uh, reluctant members. And it's not a very exclusive club, unfortunately. There's lots of people who are affected by this. Kylie Stanton, Global News, Victoria. 
And coming up on the news hour, we will have the very latest on those mass shootings in Texas and Ohio, including a court appearance for the Dayton gunman and what those who knew him are saying. That's coming up later. A violent long weekend in Toronto where more than a dozen people were hurt in multiple shootings. The worst happened overnight at a nightclub in North York. The chaos sent patrons and staff scrambling for safety. Seven people were hurt in that shooting. Police still do not have any suspects in the case, but as Global's Priya Sam reports, officers are scouring the area for surveillance footage. Like the night shown in this video, club goers tell us it was packed here at District 45 Sunday night for their Caravana Afrobeat party. The party's poster calling the night unforgettable. And it was, but for all the wrong reasons. Shanique Brown was celebrating her birthday on the back patio. It was very overcrowded in there, like packed to capacity. Before you know it, we, there were shots fired and people were just scramming. I just hear some shots and I went down. I, I didn't look for anything. I was just been. I was safe and my partner who was working with me is safe too. Wessing Thompson is a bartender here at District 45. Shots rang out around 2 a.m. Three people were treated and taken to hospital by paramedics, one of them in life-threatening condition. An additional four patients walked into hospital also suffering from gunshot wounds. The items left on the ground outside the club a sign of the chaos when hundreds of people fled. We have located a scene at the back of the club. Uh, there are uh, shell casings that have been located and uh, we're, we're appealing to the public uh, and witnesses in, inside the club to come forward to police with inf any information. Police say they believe this all started after an altercation near the back of the club. They say they found shell casings both inside and outside. We did speak to a woman who was inside at the time. She says she couldn't find her friends and that she just started praying for her life. There, there was a DVR in there might not solve it, but it will certainly help us, I believe, because there was some activity going on in the, in the, the uh, bar. Amidst the questions of how this happened are calls for increased security. There's a lot of people coming into Toronto and it's a public place, it's the weather is good, everybody's coming out, so there have to be a lot of security. But for the people who work here, they say they usually feel safe at work and that this was just a one-off. We're trying to build a nice community and this stupidness happened like it's a shame the u.s is mourning the victims of back-to-back -back mass shootings there the first happened at a walmart in el paso texas the death toll in that tragedy rose to 22 today with other victims succumbing to their injuries. The second massacre took place in Dayton, Ohio, where a gunman opened fire on crowds in a busy nightlife district, killing nine and hurting dozens more. That's where we begin our coverage tonight. Tonight, investigators are trying to figure out what motivated 24-year-old Connor Betts to put on a bulletproof vest and kill nine people in just 30 seconds, police stopping him before he could enter a popular bar and kill more. Among the victims, his 22-year-old sister, Megan. It seems to just defy believability he would shoot his own sister. But it's also hard to believe that he didn't recognize that was his sister. Um, so we just don't know. Police say the shooter had as many as 250 rounds. At the scene, they recovered 41 spent shell casings. The gun purchased legally online from Texas, according to officials, and then modified to make it more deadly. Today, police searched the gunman's home in a suburb of Dayton, where he and his sister attended high school. I would say he did show some violent tendencies. 
His former classmate, so Theo Ganey, really told our Gabe Gutierrez Betts was a loner and outcast. I would say he definitely was bullied. And then there was an incident with threats, and that followed him. The Associated Press spoke with two former classmates who said those threats included a hit list of people he wanted to kill and another list of girls he wanted to sexually assault. Both incidents, according to the AP, led to suspensions. NBC News has not verified the report. So much of the focus here remains on the survivors and the nine victims, Beatrice Warren Curtis among them. Her mother, Nadine Warren, says she was on a girl's trip to Dayton. Hug your kids and love them. Because you don't know in America now, when they leave, they may not come back. Six of the nine victims in Dayton were African American. So far, police say they do not see a racial motivation. We are not through all the evidence. And so until we're through all the evidence, we cannot rule that out. For so many, the trauma is still ever-present. Alyssa Kokinas and Catherine Weibel seen in security camera footage having drinks on a patio before running for their lives. We're just lucky. Yeah. I'm so blessed to be here right now, honestly. Yeah. If he would have turned to his right, he, we would be dead right now. Tonight, along the Walmart parking lot where gunfire first erupted, a growing vigil and a crime scene sit side by side. Law enforcement sources tell NBC News the suspect killed many of his victims from close range, executing some after they were shot and were pleading for help. Unloading a flurry of gunfire into family shopping for school supplies, police say after his arrest, the shooter showed no remorse or regret. With the district attorney seeking the death penalty, the gunman appeared in court for his initial hearing. Magistrate Judge Penny Hamilton tells NBC News the 21-year-old was attentive and lucid, ordering him held without bond. Why do you believe this is a hate crime? Basically from the, the initial uh, comments he made in his manifesto. With the death toll now rising to 22 and dozens wounded, during the chaos and carnage, families were separated during the stampede to stay alive. I want to just find my mom. Somebody needs to tell me where she is. Edie Halberg has now learned her mother Angie passed away. Arturo Benavides, 60, was a veteran and a retiree who attended Mass every Sunday. Javier Rodriguez was 15 and had just finished his freshman year in high school. It was very scary. The guy went in and started shooting. Sylvia Salcedo and her 91-year-old mother witnessed the rampage. Still shaken by the video she recorded during the bloodshed. Tonight, so many innocent lives spared and lost. As loved ones mourn those now gone and a community prays for others still fighting to survive. Now to a scare for a curious little boy in southwest China that worked out okay. We'll tell you that right now. A surveillance camera catches the three-year-old as he stepped into a broken manhole cover, tapped it with his foot, and fell right through. The boy's parents panicked as the father raced to get his son out of the well. The child was understandably shaken, but only suffered some bruises. More questions than answers tonight about the death of a good Samaritan. Tributes are pouring in for Langley Minor football coach Sean Nugent. Just over a week ago, Nugent heroically rescued a woman who was drowning. 
but hours later, he suddenly passed away. Julia Foy is live in our newsroom with more on what happened. Julia. Well, Sophie, family and friends are grieving a Langley man who died after saving someone else's life last weekend. Now, on Saturday, July 27th, Sean Nugent jumped into action when he saw a woman in distress in Hayward Lake near Mission. He swam to her aid and managed to pull her back to shore. But on the following Monday, July 29th, Sean unexpectedly passed away. He was 43 years old, a father of three, and a popular coach in Langley's minor football league. Now, the cause of his death is still unclear, and friends are devastated over the loss. So everybody is just in complete shock. Like, it's one of those people that shouldn't have been taken early, you know. And so for all of us, it's a pretty big, pretty big hole. Yeah, a void that I don't know it won't be filled anytime soon. A GoFundMe page has been set up to help raise funds to support Sean Nugent's family. I'll have more on this story coming up later on NewsHour Final. Back to you. All right, thanks for that. Julia Foy reporting live for us tonight. Well, in health matters tonight, a Maple Ridge man waiting for a kidney transplant is worried he may not be around long enough for the life-saving surgery. Josh Hofflin was, uh, has end-stage 4 diabetic kidney disease. As Catherine Urquhart reports, he needs a new insulin pump, but the model he requires isn't covered by the provincial government. This is my insulin pump, and this is what actually connects to me. Connects to me through an infusion site right here. As a type 1 diabetic, Josh Hofflin depends on his insulin pump. His is getting old and needs replacing. So right here, there's a crack that's developed. My current pump is roughly about five years old, so it's getting to its end of life. The Maple Ridge resident qualifies for a new pump under BC's Pharmacare, but it does not cover the latest tandem technology, which can both monitor glucose levels and deliver insulin as needed. What the pump will do is it'll actually be able to keep a patient within a range without the patient having to do much control or monitoring of it themselves. We know that when people can manage their blood sugar better, it means better health outcomes for them and better lives as well. Last year, the province committed $15 million to assist diabetics, providing two different pump options, regardless of age. BC's health minister, also a type 1 diabetic, says the tandem technology could potentially be covered in the future. It's now under review. It's not a week away, it's not two weeks away, and it's not two months away. Um, what, uh, what we have now is two excellent insulin pumps that have met the standards. Tandem technology is covered in some provinces, and Josh remains hopeful it's only a matter of time before it's covered in B.C. I'd like to see the government approve this pump so that other diabetics who are waiting for this pump aren't forced into a pump that doesn't suit their medical needs. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. A cross-species friendship is blossoming along the Fraser River in Mission. This video was sent to us by Global Viewer Melanie Yelland De Silva. It shows her dog Dakota meeting a seal that came out to the shoreline. She says that remarkable moment happened when they boated to the tip of Crescent Island, close to where Silvermere Lake meets the river. Within five minutes of Dakota jumping out to explore the beach, the friendly seal popped up to say hello. Like a little peck on the nose there, <laughs> very sweet.
All right, while most nine-year-olds are spending their summer playing with their friends, three business-minded sisters in Ontario are busy at work. The enterprising trio owns and operates a lemonade stand. And as Global's Morgan Campbell explains, it's a pretty sophisticated operation. This isn't your typical lemonade stand. At first glance, it has all of the nuts and bolts needed to make the refreshing summer drink. It's who's behind the stand that makes this a sweet experience. We hire a babysitter half helper person so they can supervise us and then they just like help. They take the money because we don't want to contaminate the lemonade. They need a babysitter because they are only nine. And did I mention they're triplets? I wanted them to see this is reality. There's a little bit more to this than meets the eye. Their parents bought the stand. Sadie, Lila and Violet created a business plan, registered their name and went through health inspections. I'm not going to gouge them or anything, but yeah, it's going to be paid back like any expense. A cup of lemonade costs $5 with a portion of sales going to charity. And the sisters sure know how to sell their products. We actually like squeeze in front of like the customers and make it fresh. Kane Kids Company operates mostly on weekends at events across the Muskoka region. Like any savvy entrepreneur, the kids are planning ahead. We might one day not just sell lemonade, like maybe cupcakes or brownies or something. It's like, it's not just the Kane Kids lemonade, it's the Kane Kids Company. The girls have to deal with the trials and tribulations of operating a business while trying to balance the social life of a preteen. I had to skip the sleepover, but I did go for the, for the, like, the day birthday party. The three sisters get along well for the most part, but do have the odd rivalry moments. The trio couldn't agree on a charity to support, so they chose their own. She chose the women's shelter, and she chose animal rescue, and yeah, I chose hospice. I can't even describe how proud I am of my daughters. And so dad should be. The business is operating in the black with events scheduled throughout the summer. Morgan Campbell, Global News. <laughs> All right, now to a different father-daughter relationship. Prison guards in Brazil spot a visitor acting oddly, so they pull her aside. How their intuition helped stop and escape right after the forecast. It's her line, by the way. <laughs> well, you'll understand credit. in a sec. But those right. lemonade girls are sure cute. <laughs> they sure were. All right, uh, let's check in with uh, meteorologist Christy Gordon. We saw off the top of the show, uh, Christy. You know, we've had a, a quiet wildfire season so far, but boy, it's heating up now. Starting to pick up, that's for sure. we got three main things that we're talking about in weather. Severe thunderstorm watches and warnings, the heat, of course, and yes, the smoke and through the Okanagan Valley. But first, because of the heat, we're kicking off our We Love Water campaign. We're going to give you a question here. And Soph and Galis, you have to answer this. Our water use can increase by how much in the summer? More than 20%, more than 35%, 50%, or 75%. I will give you the answer at the end of my weather hit. All right, so severe thunderstorms. We had one major one that was rolling towards Tumbler Ridge. That has now ended, or weakened, I should say, but we've got quite a line just west of Tumbler Ridge. The warning has ended. The red should no longer be red. It should be yellow, uh, but we still do have that severe thunderstorm watch. So if you're in that area, keep your eye out. You'll certainly see downpours of rain and the possibility of hail and, of course, lightning as well. And it has been hot, hot spot across Canada 
Atlanta today, 36.7 degrees in Lytton. Congratulations to you. It was hot right across the region. Look at this, 30 degrees away from the water in the Metro Vancouver region, Fraser Valley 33, and we were up to 36 degrees in Asuyus today. Hot and dry, and the uh, fire danger rating across the fall far south is at, at a high level, so that's why we're starting to see that kick up of fires now that it has been dry for so long. Now this evening, we've got a fair amount of dispersion of that smoke, so there is some wind in the area, but overnight, because of the fire just northeast of Oliver, we are going to see the wind, the smoke become more condensed. So less wind to disperse that fire, the, the smoke will become more dense, but in a small area. But then tomorrow afternoon, the winds are going to pick up a little bit and shift those towards the east slightly. So there is certainly going to be uh, some smoke in that area again tomorrow afternoon at the very least uh, in that vicinity. Now across the north, we'll see sunshine. It'll be hot and dry for the next 24 hours. It's Wednesday that we'll finally see a reprieve from this heat. And then we're also talking about the overnight temperature. When it's still hot at night, you just don't get relief from the heat. But we will as we head towards the end of the week, you two. Oh, and here is your... Answer, yes, we use, uh, our water use increases by 50% in the summer because of watering the lawn and other outdoor use. So uh, there you go. And if you want more water saving tips, go to welovewater.ca. Did you guess the answer right? I, I think I did. 50%? I would have picked D, 75. So I'm, you know what, I'm glad that I was wrong in this instance. <laughs> Thanks, Christy. Prison guards in Rio de Janeiro thought there was something a little off about a nervous young woman seen leaving their jail. So they stopped her, removed the glasses, the long dark wig, and the silicone mask to reveal a notorious drug lord. Wait for the mask, it's a little creepy. The notorious drug lord who was disguised as his own teenage daughter. Claudino da Silva is serving a 73-year sentence for drug trafficking. This is his second escape attempt, and he's now been moved to a maximum security unit. Da Silva's 19-year-old daughter and several others are being investigated for their part in the foiled plot. And that's what Chris meant when he said a different, a different. kind of father-daughter relationship. Go. <laughs> All right, I'll begin. <laughs> so here's a different way to look at the Lions' 1-6 and six start to this season. It's a start nobody expected after all the players they brought in during the offseason. It's like being on a dating site and the person's description and picture look really good, but then when you get together, they're nothing like you expected. The BC Lions do not look like their profile picture. Instead of Brad Pitt, you get Gollum from Lord of the Rings. It's been that ugly this year. And after having last week off, the Lions hope to recapture the promise of the offseason. Remember when Mike Riley officially signed with the BC Lions? Along with the smiles and big contract came the promise of injecting life into a franchise that last won the Grey Cup eight years ago. Instead, it's been anything but. BC comes out of the bye week sporting a lifeless 1-6 and six record, and there's no way of denying it. This is a bad football team on both sides of the ball. How much do you feel the pressure, though, because you're the face of the franchise. You're the guy who signed the big contract. You're the guy expected to make the big plays. We haven't seen enough of it, Mike. Do you, does that wear on you? Has it worn on you? Not any more so than any other year. I don't care how much I get paid or, or if I'm the face of anything, I want to win football games. You know, that's what I come out here and put all this work in for, so that's what wears on you. Mike and I were talking about, you know, if you, you take us back to training camp and if you would have told me we were going to be 1-6, I would have laughed at you, you know? It's like, that's uh, a joke. We're too good to be 1-6. 
But here we are. This is Ed Hervey's football team, and where we are is realistically a season without the playoffs. That's not to say it can't happen over their final games. It's just tough to see the Lions turning it all around. They've given up the most sacks, scored the fewest touchdowns, while averaging the second fewest points per game. And that's just their offensive woes. Defensively, BC's generated the second fewest sacks, have given up the most touchdowns, as well as surrendering the most points. And we could go on and on here, as it really has been this bad. I'm as frustrated as anyone. I mean, it's my first head coaching gig, and and you come out as a one and six record. You, you, it's going to be frustrations. I understand that. Some fans will say, "Why wasn't there more change given the record at the stage?" What do you say to that? Well, you can. It's not like you can go. I can go out here and get a whole 46 new man roster. If you look at us from the start of the season till now, every piece that we've identified, we've went out and procured like uh, we needed a returner we got a returner we needed a full corner we got a full corner we needed free safety we had a free safety so we're slowly building this thing piece by piece and uh so that's how we're looking at it and that's the steps that we're taking new england patriots quarterback tom brady has won six super bowls four super bowl mvps three nfl mvps and other numerous awards but there is one thing he has never been he has never been the highest paid quarterback in any nfl season and the one coming up will be his 20th. He was given a new contract yesterday. It included an $8 million raise. So he will make $23 million this year, but that's only tied for seventh best. Ben Roethlisberger of the Steelers will be number one, making $45 million. Brady is even behind Kyler Murray, who will make $24 million. And Murray is a rookie. Tom Brady has given everything to the Patriots, including not demanding to be the highest paid quarterback, because if he did, there wouldn't be enough money for the Patriots to bring in other top-notch players. You know, we, like I said the last time, <clears throat> just had a great history. And, um, you know, I love playing quarterback here. I love this team, organization, Mr. Kraft, Jonathan, Coach Belichick, all the coaches, all the players. Um, I mean, the focus is this year and what we got to do. So. That's where I'm focused. That's all that really matters in the end. And uh, that's what this team expects me to put everything into it, like I always have. And I'm really excited for the year. All right. Michael Dick of the Vancouver Giants coaching Canada at the uh, Halinka Gretzky Cup. This is game one for Canada against Finland. Cole Perfetti, power play goalie, led all OHL rookies with goals this past season. Then Seth Jarvis of the Portland Winterhawks will score here to make it 3-0. Quinton Byfield setting him up. He'll be one of the top picks in next year's draft. Cole Perfetti again from Hendricks. Lapierre, another kid who should be a top draft pick next June. Canada won this by the score of 6-0. All right, Rogers Cup tennis. Denis Shapovalov, who's had a bit of a rough year. He's actually 15-16 this season, taking on Pierre Hughes Herbert of France. Nice return there from Shapovalov. Another nice return from Shapovalov. He won this first set 6-3 to three here when his opponent went a little high and long. And then Shapovalov finishes things off. We should tell you Milos Ronic was also a winner today. And too long. You win. Coquitlam is still undefeated at the Canadian Little League Championships going on in Ontario. Today they beat Ottawa 15-3. They're now 4-0. Tied with uh, a team from Nova Scotia for first place. Tomorrow, Coquitlam plays Moose Jaw, the representative of the Prairie area, which is 0-4. A BC team has won 13 of the last 14 Canadian championships.
For almost four and a half decades, the Empire Landmark towered over Vancouver's West End, but now it's gone. The hotel closed nearly two years ago to make way for a pair of residential towers, but the demolition is unlike anything the city, the city has seen before. Paul Johnson has more on how the hotel was taken down piece by piece. Taking in the view of what was and what's to come, West Enders are watching closely as their skyline evolves. It's going to be interesting, but I mean, the whole West End is changing like this. When it's time for a big high-rise to come down, the demolitions we remember most tend to be the kinetic kind, those controlled implosions that are a mastery of physics and explosives. But when it was time to tear down the 42-story Empire Landmark Hotel, dynamite wasn't an option in the densely populated West End. So the building had to come down piece by piece. And luckily, there was a different kind of technology for that. I was uh, up on top of it for three months, taking it apart. Marino Paglio was part of the team that dismantled the skyscraper using something called the Brock Method, which is all about the Brock Machine, a Swedish-made, remote-controlled demolition monster. Basically like an excavator, but the uh, operator offers it, operates it with a Wi-Fi remote, much like a gaming console, and that, that keeps them out of harm's way. And that slow-mo demolition enabled this, Vancouver photographer Kevin Beretta's remarkable time-lapse video of the work. First, the removal of that famous rotating restaurant, then the floor-by-floor -floor disappearance of the rest of the building, seeming to melt away like a popsicle in summer. Technology and construction, it's really interesting. And preserved now in this intriguing vision of the changing cityscape. Paul Johnson, Global News. Pretty amazing. I'm glad I know that now because I was down on Robson Street one night and I looked like, I don't remember that thing being imploded. How did I miss that? Right. <laughs> now I know. You, you, You're not going crazy. No. That's right. Uh, okay, thanks very much for watching. We're all done. Hope you had a great BC day and we'll see you tomorrow. Good night, all.